Well, it's 11.01. I think we should probably uh, get started. So I'm going to uh, call the meeting to order and take roll right off the bat here. So I'm going to uh, read off the names of the board members. Please respond aye if you are here. Thomas Howe. Aye. Shannon Reed. Aye. Rebecca Buford. Aye. Sarah Waters. Aye. Christina Gentry. Thomas Allen. Erica Zimmerman. Aye. Dana Ortiz. Shannon Ori. Here. Ron Gacious. Aye. Edith Guffey. Aye. Monty Sokup, aye. That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine in attendance. So we have a quorum. Um, at this point, I would ask Leah Rosalind to uh, make the comments about the meeting, the pre-meeting comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is uh, Leah Rosalind, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, Mr. Chair, I did want to note that Ms. Ortiz joined um, just at the end of roll. Oh, so that would make us 10 members present still with a quorum. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, hello, Dana. Glad you're with us. Um, so thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on City's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you're not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon, icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, I may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video camera off or on by clicking on the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of the, this public meeting, when you're participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you're not participating in the meeting, it's okay for you to turn your video off. You will still be able to listen to the meeting when your video is off. You'll just have to remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating will make sure that active meeting participants can be seen on the screen. In some cases, I may turn someone's video off if they are not actively participating to avoid distraction during the meeting. You can always turn your video back on during the meeting. If you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all meeting participants. Board members and city staff members, you must state your name and title each time you speak. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Mr. Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right hand corner of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear in the meeting host screen. 
When you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. The staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three-minute time limit will apply. Thank you. Monty, um, it looks like, um, yeah. yep, <laughs> it looks like Monty had uh, some internet connectivity issues. Um, so, uh, Ms. Guffey, would you mind taking over the meeting as chair? Okay. Oh. Um, did you lose me partway through that? Oh, yes, you got back just in the nick of time. Okay, so I'm going to start halfway through that thing. General public comment on items or issues that are not scheduled on the agenda may be made after all regular business of the board has been conducted. Each person will be limited to three minutes for general public comment. So uh, do we have anyone uh, that would like to make a public comment. Mr. Chair, this is Brad Gar. I'm in the city commission room and there is nobody here for public comment. Okay, then uh, we have one uh, electronic public comment that was received and I think Leah is going to uh, address that. Is that right? Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Rose, one affordable housing administrator. Yes, the um, written comment is provided on the agenda. I did just want to make a note that um, Ms. Robley has dropped off two copies of um, books for AHAB members to read. If anybody is interested in borrowing them, the title is Tiny Homes in a Big City um, by the Reverend Faith Fowler. And um, she dropped those off specifically for AHAB members that may be interested in reading those. So if you're interested in borrowing a copy, just reach out to me. Mr. How did you want a copy? Or were you? Perfect. <laughs> I will arrange to get one for you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll get with you as well, Leah. This Monte Soga chair, I would, I'm interested in at least having time to look at those. So is there any other public comment? Shannon Reed, I see you. Hi, thank you. Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. I actually just wanted to ask a question about that because I refreshed the um, agenda. And when I click the link for that public comment, I'm actually seeing a memorandum from Diane Stoddard um, related housing initiatives funding. I'm just wondering if anybody else is noticing that too. I, I think I remember reading the comment in an email. Maybe you just forwarded the email, so I'm familiar with it, but I just clicked on it again in the agenda and noticed that seems to be off. So I just wanted to mention that. Thank you, Shannon. This is Leah Rosalind of Oracle Housing Administrator. Oh. Yeah, thank you for letting me know. It, it, it looks like maybe the wrong document got uploaded. So I'll be sure to correct that and send it out to the board again. 
Okay, it's Monty Sokup Chair. We're gonna close public comment, seeing no one else, and move to item B, approval of the minutes for the December 13, 2021 meeting. So I would open the floor for a motion to uh, accept the minutes or alter them. I move we accept them as submitted. Thank you, Thomas. We have Brian Gaius, Chamber Representative, second the motion. Okay, so we have a motion on the floor. It's been seconded. Are there any comments from the board? Seeing none, I'm going to call the roll. Uh, Thomas Howe? Yes. Cannon Reed? Yes. Rebecca Buford? Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. Erica Zimmerman? Yes. Dana Ortiz? Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Monty Sokup. Yes. Motion passes 10-0. Thank you. Uh, we'll move on to the regular uh, agenda items. Uh, the monthly financial report. I believe staff will provide that. Thank you. Leah Roseman, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, we collected, so I'm going to provide November and December since November wasn't available last month during the meeting. Um, we collected about 80,000 in affordable housing sales tax in November and 92,000 in affordable housing sales tax in December. There has been no change on the expense side and we anticipate meeting budgeted revenue. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. I was looking for the mute button. <laughs> Common problem. Uh, thank you. Are there any questions on the monthly financial report by any board members? Okay, seeing none, we will move on to item agenda item number two, presentation and discussion of the City Lawrence Strategic Plan by City Manager Craig Owens. Craig, I give you the floor. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I really appreciate City Manager Craig Owens. I really appreciate you granting me a little bit of time here. I'm making my rounds to um, several of the boards and commissions that they advise the city commission. Um, we have 48 boards and commissions, so um, I, I'm not touching base with all of them, but several of you are um, are doing some work that really does impact the strategic plan. And um, so I, we thought it would be a good idea for me to just kind of give you that level of engagement, kind of give you some background on it in the structure of it um, and talk to you about the genesis. Where, where do we get all these ideas um, in, in the hopes that the, the, um, the work of everybody in our community, uh, particularly our staff and our advisory boards and bodies will be very well aligned with what we're trying to accomplish as a community. So that's my purpose this morning. I'll talk relatively quickly and then really excited to answer any questions that may come out of this. Um, so the uh, strategic plan is really our community's kind of second run at doing strategic planning. The first time that we did it, um, you'll remember maybe a blue poster on the wall when we were meeting in person in uh, at the city. Um, 
and it was a really good first start. So um, predated me, but it was something that uh, really said, if you want to do difficult things that are complicated, they take time. And so we need to have strategies that help us do the steps to do big things. And that's basically what a strategic plan does. It makes sure that we kind of account for all the different things that need to happen for these big things to occur. So I was grateful that that kind of already was established and it was something that the city commission um, and my predecessor had worked on together to do that. Um, when we went to try and update it and to kind of replace it and do something new, we wanted to learn from what, were, what would make it better or make us more effective maybe in the strategic planning process. One of the things that we, um, we set out to do was um, that, that differentiated it from the last one was we really wanted to make sure that we caught all of the top priorities, not just add these few strategic plan priorities on top of all the stuff everybody takes for granted that also requires a lot of energy and investment um, and attention for our community, but we didn't kind of account for it in the first plan. So this one endeavors to try and say this is what we're trying to achieve as an organization and as a community. Um, the second thing that this that this this round did was to say we're going to do this starting with a basis of listening. So we did a lot of deep uh, public engagement and the way we went about that work was um, I asked that um, for volunteers within our city staff. I said, you know, how would you go help us go listen to the community to try and develop a, a body of information that we can put together as our strategic planning priorities? We want to hear from the community. Um, so I asked, I was hoping we might get 20, 20 volunteers. We got 50, 50 people in our organization said, yeah, I'll go out and listen. And so we did some training and we put them, tasked them with going out into the community and trying to find places where people were already gathering and talking. Um, instead of it being put a microphone in City Hall on a Tuesday night and y'all come tell us what you want, that's an important piece that we must do uh, as well. But we wanted to try and get invited to places where other people were already gathering and talking about these things, particularly where people were um, living their lives in our community who don't often get invited to things like this, that often don't find themselves informing uh, their, their community leadership of what they want. And so we were very intentional trying to do that. One of the things that was kind of a, a bit, bit of a, it was an unplanned advantage that we found was a lot of the people that we invited into the process that are, you know, do serve the city in professional capacity are members of this community, have a relationship as, as citizens or members, community members. And they gave us really good and in, interesting access to a wide variety of, of our community that was really useful. So uh, when we went through that process uh, and we asked people to you know, tell us what you want from the community or, or for your community, what do you want for your future? You know, we tabled at the library, we went to where soccer teams were playing, we tried to find where people were gathering. Uh, and we were intentional at outreach at some known uh, community gathering places. So there were some organizations that already exist that um, gave us um, some good insights. That whole process yielded about 3,000 
people's perspectives and gathered uh, about 3,000 people's ideas of what they wanted to see for their community, particularly over the next three to five years. So we pulled all that information in and we gathered it together and um, working with the city commission, we um, put it into kind of organized it into five different outcome areas. And if I can share my screen, I'd like to show those to you. Somebody will need to permit me to do that. All right. Um, okay, so hopefully you're seeing three dots Yes, anybody yes. nod? Yes, good, thanks. Um, so um, these five areas are unmistakable identity, strong welcoming neighborhoods, safe and secure, prosperity and economic security and connected city. And so that's how we kind of curated the information that we gathered from the community, organized it, and then we set about how do we do these big things that we've been asked to do, all the work that we've been asked to do. Um, and um, so we've organized the strategic plan around those areas. Um, and each one of these has, and I'm pulling it off the website. So I'd really encourage everybody, you can go to our website under strategic plan and all of this is on there. And that's a key piece of also that differentiated our strategic planning process this time is we're being very open about all the pieces that we have built in here and the scorecards that we built in, which I'll go through in a minute. Um, everything that we do, we're kind of trying to make sure it's all publicly published and available and interactive so that we get feedback and we continue to um, do the work that the community asked us to do. So in these five uh, outcome areas, each one of them has a statement that has that helps uh, helps gain an, uh, an understanding or show an understanding for two primary audiences. One is the group of 888 employees that we are tasked with doing the work from a professional perspective within our city organization. Um, that's an important group. We want them to understand what it is that we're undertaking to do because this is our work. This is we're describing this is the work that we're in business to do. The second group, and, and I would include the, the advisory boards and commissions, which is why we're meeting here today. It's important that you have an understanding. This is what we're in business to do so that you can best um, support and advise on best next steps on how do we make progress on these key things. The other group that's that's vital to um, read these statements and, and, and have a, a clarity of understanding is the 3,000 people that participated in our process. So we want them to be able to read through this, read the words that were very carefully chosen to say, to react to saying, I think you heard me. You know, I hear what I told you, I see reflected in the plan and that you heard what, what I've asked you to do for the community, what we need to do as a community. Those are two important audiences. And I think we did, we were very thoughtful. Each one of those words, and you have all probably done this kind of work before, you know, we labored over each of those words in the way that we phrased things to make sure that it was it was hitting a mark and that it was describing what we, we needed to do. Behind each one of these, if you click on them, you'll see a, um, you'll see a um, scorecard. So 
we understood in this differentiates again from the last strategic plan, we understood that progress needs to be measured and it needs to be reported. So we need to be able to see, we think this activity is going to create results that we intend and we need to see that those are happening. If they're not, then we have an opportunity to adjust. We have an opportunity to change our strategies or our tactics, and we can readjust to try and get what we what we intend to accomplish done. And by just having the conversations of these um, of these measures and of these success and key performance indicators or success indicators, by just having those conversations, it helped us clarify the work that we we're trying to do. Um, the other side of this um, is um, we, we understood what we do is important, but we made it more challenging to ourselves, but I think much better and much more sustainable and more holistic. We um, said how we do our work and how we accomplish things is also really important in this community and in for this organization. And so we established what we call the commitments. And then below, below this, and you're seeing on the screen are um, the commitments that we're making. So we will, we will measure results and we will do our work um, making sure that we've accounted for each of these six perspectives. Those are community engagement, efficient and effective processes, equity and inclusion, sound fiscal stewardship, engage and empowered teams, and environmental sustainability. So it's our belief that if we're really paying attention to results being delivered in respect for an imbalance of these six perspectives, we believe that that success will be true. We believe that success will be more sustainable and that will, it will accounted for the, the values of the community that need to be respected. So likewise, you'll see there's a, um, there's a statement on each one of these, very carefully crafted and, and important to the work that we do. So uh, in a nutshell, that is what our strategic plan is. That's how we got to this place. The um, commission has adopted it um, several, um, many, many months ago. Um, and our last budget was really the first budget that, that utilized this strategic plan to guide how we were allocating resources. I wanna say, this is um, a pl plan that I think we're really proud of. It has a lot of people's fingerprints on it in the community, key stakeholders. Um, and um, it, at the same time, it's not perfect. So um, this is our first year using this as a guide for the budget. We are now in week two of our uh, new fiscal year, the first year that we start to intend to try and invest to make the, the difference in these areas, but it, it's not perfect. We will continue to be working to align and adjust over the next few years. Uh, we'll get better at using this as a tool. And um, we, um, we're here and I'm here talking with you so that I can help with that process of alignment answer any questions and, and always be listening and understanding how we can continue to make this, uh, make modifications to make adjustments to where this goes. So as pretty as these pictures are and the, the great graphic work that our team did, um, we need to be ready to flex it if um, we need to as a community, as we get better at using this tool. So I'll stop sharing and um, ask if there are any questions. 
Go ahead, Rebecca. Thank you for that, Craig. That was really helpful. Um, I know you've heard this before, but I just want to give you a chance to reflect on it. How do you see, um, you know, since we're talk we talk about affordable housing and housing supply and housing development, which we all agree are a big goal of, of everyone's. And I see you say affordable housing in one of the goals that use those words exactly, which are is very exciting to me. Um, <laughs> but how, what do you think the city can do in the short term to work on efficient and effective processes for development? Well, I mean, that, that is, that is, uh, I'd say, um, you're probably familiar with our development um, uh, review process. Um, oh, City Manager Craig Owens. Uh, so we are, um, the Planning and Development Services has initiated um, a study, a consultant-led study. I know that they've received proposals already and those will be narrowed down. And that's going to be take a top to bottom full review of what we're doing in our development review process. So how do, how do people use that, our process to create change in the built environment throughout our community and how do we um, how does that guide us to intended consequences or outcomes and I think that question that really broad question hasn't probably been a talked about, at least when I review the many, many layers and chapters of regulations that we have, it doesn't look like it was a holistically developed process. Um, and so it, it's exciting to me that we will have that conversation. Now that's going to be a tug and pull. And I think um, more than just efficient, effective processes, all of those values are going to come into play. And more than one of the outcome areas also, I think, will be served by uh, and, and um, represented in the discussion about the development process review. Um, the frustrating part is that um, I've been through these processes before. I would say a fast process of rewriting your development code is 18 months. Um, and that's for a, a more uh, monolithic and um, more uh, homogenous community than what Lawrence represents. So I, I would, I would not be surprised if it's a two-year process. But I think I'm excited about it because I do think we will have some really quality engagement from a lot of different perspectives that are trying to figure that balance out in our community. Great. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious. Chamber Representative, a couple of questions for Craig. Uh, Craig, first question really uh, is a follow-up to the explanation you just provided. If we're two years or more, and I think two years is a really aggressive timeline for something like this, uh, particularly given that there will be a number of stakeholders who will identify it as being in their best interest to drag the process out as long as possible. Um, but during that time frame, however long it is, two years, uh, give or take, um, will there be discretion or flexibility shown by the city? Uh, I'm guessing my question is, do you think there is an opportunity for the city to show flexibility or discretion to make some of the changes on at least a case-by-case -case basis 
to promote um, a more aggressive and I'd say progressive housing initiative in the community. For example, can we can we look for an opportunity to build tiny houses or to use alternative construction uh, methodologies, or are we just locked in right now until this review is completed? City Manager Craig Owens, thanks, Ron. I, I that's that's beyond me. Um, I, I think if that's advice that you would give to the commission, the city commission will listen to that. Um, I would just I would just ask that you know kind of look at this model, and you can't give advice that it doesn't account for these other perspectives. Um, so yes, if you can make a, a, a surgical strike into his particular regulations and do something, and do it with the, the cognizance that they're are cause and effects and that other interests will have to be accounted for, by all means, you should. But I, I think that's the always the challenge of pulling a thread and in, in complex policy. So yes, I think we probably have to because there's urgency of many of the things that we're dealing with. And probably there is there is urgency enough that we take some imperfect actions to modify processes to achieve what we'd like to see today that will have consequences that we'll have to reconcile and hopefully will not be unintended consequences but they'll be ones that are going to be necessarily imperfect in my opinion because of the complexity and intertangled intertangledness of our um of our our regulations i mean we have a lot in this town we have a lot of regulations, a lot of layers of them, and they have not all been designed to work together. And so when you start to incise and say, that's the one I wanna go after because I wanna do this one thing this week or this month or this year, there will be consequences and there will be interests that need to be you know, accounted for. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't, but it will just not be, it, we've, gotta ha we've gotta settle on some imperfection and understand that's gonna be part of it. That answers the perfect segue to my second question. So thank you. And that is, where do we take that fight? If we, if there's, if there's an affordable housing perspective on an issue, mm -hmm. and and um, you know, my past interactions with planning commission have been wholly unsatisfactory because the planning commission already has uh, an embedded institutional perspective on planning issues. And so there isn't room, in my view, for the exception or the use of discretion in uh, doing exactly what you've suggested, suspending one or more of the rules for a specific uh, project. Protecting the institutional rule has become so important that there are very few exceptions granted. So my, I'm asking, where do we take our fight? Do we go get bloody on the planning commission stage or do we just or are we better served taking our perspective directly to the commission without having to filter our recommendations on sidewalks or trees or whatever it might be through the planning commission i i would like for the affordable housing perspective to have a voice directly with the commission rather than us to have to push our recommendations through the planning commission first. Is that possible, do you think? Or is it something that we just need to go assert ourselves and see who pushes back? City Manager Craig Owens, um, 
the the language you use really makes me feel like I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, <laughs> so um, I would hope that uh, fight and blood is not what we're talking about, but um, but I understand you know the passions that are at play here because there are some stakes that are high and. Um, so uh, the, the only thing I, I can't really advise because I, I guess I'm ignorant of the fact that uh, Ahab can't make recommendations to the city commission directly. Um, that if that's true, then that's just part of my learning, uh, continued learning about um, about our community and processes. My suggestion, however, is that um, uh, there the city commission gets everything eventually. And even if you're giving advice to them, that is part of the minutes of the planning commission. And so, you know, I, I think that advice gets to them either way. Um, so I, I'm sorry, it's frustrating, but um, we have 48 boards and commissions and that's, that's a choice that our community has made either intentionally or layer upon layer over time. Hey, let's have another board and commission, but you can imagine, um, as an elected official with everything else that we have going on to receive that much feedback from nearly 400 people in our community who are passionate about their thing, uh, it's it's probably going to be hard. So I would, the only advi general advice I would always give is contextualize it so that you're sympathetic to these five people that have a lot of work to do and are trying to reconcile a lot of interests. If you can contextualize it so that you've accounted for perspectives that you know are going to be brought to bear on them and balance, shown a balance for them, they, you probably are going to be more successful and it's going to be easier for them to accept your work, your advice. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. This is Monty Sokup Chair. I have a question as well. I, uh, you had talked about hiring uh, the city, hiring a consultant to look at our planning review process. And one of the things that this board has toyed with, we have not taken any action on yet, is whether or not there should be a separate process for affordable housing projects uh, that would help speed those. And I, wonder, I wondered, I guess, if the if that's something that we're considered, considering and if that is something that this consultant will be looking at uh, to see if, you know, how that's done in other cities to kind of smooth the way for uh, affordable housing projects. Uh, City Manager Craig Owens, probably more detailed uh, level than I, I would be able to respond to. Uh, I think they should be looking at everything that uh, stakeholders bring to them. And I think when they go out and listen to the community as the start of their process, uh, they will probably hear something like you just described, or m probably more general is, you know, it, what, what, are the, what are the burdens of development um, processes or um, standards, what is the cost of that in time and money and investment to um, a certain category of housing in our community um, versus any other housing in our community. And um, so Ms. Buford and I have had this discussion before. And so I, I just, I, it, we shouldn't be applying standards and requiring um, condition, in my opinion, this is more, more Craig Owen's opinion here, but I don't think we should be applying any standards that don't have value. And if they have value, you know, everybody deserves to be protected by our laws. 
everybody deserves to have excellent quality of life. And I don't think you should change your standards because of somebody's economic status. But we, we, don't, we don't want anybody to be burdened by standards that nobody appreciates and don't have value. So why, why would it matter if there's a burdensome process that doesn't seem to have value to any stakeholder or we don't feel like that's a value that we want to uphold anymore? Let's get rid of it for everybody. I don't know whether that's controversial, but that's kind of generally how I've experienced things over 30 years. Thank you. Are there any other questions? All right, seeing no questions, do you want to wrap up, Craig? You want to make a final comment? <laughs> yeah, City Manager Craig Owens, I, I should have started by saying how um, how impressed I am uh, as I've gotten to know the community over the last couple of years, just at this so the sophistication and the conscience of our community in the work that you do. And it's really reflective of the community I'm starting to kind of get to know. And I really appreciate the the passion that you put into this and the in the intellect of the sophistication of the way we're trying to approach really, really hard problems. And this group is, is really uh, emblematic of how we're seeing ourselves as wanting to be problem solvers and do hard work and take care of each other in this community. So I just, I really, I've learned a lot from Ahab over time and you individually, I haven't met all of you, but some of you I've gotten to know fairly well and I really appreciate all the work. So thank you for that. Again, your advisors to the city commission and um, so this is the city commission's adopted plan. These are the priorities of the city commission and our community, and they're built upon a strong foundation of community listening. So I just encourage you to kind of use this as a reference point for your work and your decisions and the advice that you give to the city commission. That's why I'm here to kind of expose you to it. And I'm happy to come back anytime if there's uh, questions or I can be useful uh, in a real general way. And Thank you again for giving me some time on your agenda. Uh, Monty Sokup Chair, thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be talking later, <laughs> discussing things. <laughs> so I uh, appreciate you taking the time. All right, with that, uh, we're going to move on to the third agenda item, which is uh, elect affordable housing advisory board chair and vice chair. Um, I guess at this time, uh, we could accept nominations for uh, the chair position from the floor. Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. If he's willing to accept it, I'd like to nominate the current chairman, Monty Sukup to uh, repeat as our 2022 chairman. That's my nomination. All right, uh, Monty Sokup Chair, I am willing to accept the nomination. I certainly want to create room for others that would like to serve if there uh, is interest, but I'm happy to uh, take on another term. Are there any other nominations? Mr. Chairman, I think you need to second yeah. to mine. Okay. Shannon Howry, second. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. <laughs> um, okay, so we have uh, one nomination on the floor that has been seconded. Uh, 
are there any other nominations? Anyone else that wants to serve? Okay, seeing none. Oh, Ron, did you have something? I was just gonna call the question, go ahead. Okay, yeah, uh, seeing none, I'm gonna uh, call the question and take roll. Seems kind of odd, but <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, Thomas Howe. Aye. Shannon Reed. Aye. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Shannon Auri. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Edith Guffey. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Monty Soka, yes, yes. Uh, motion passes 10-0, so I will chair for the next term, whatever that is. Uh, so that takes us to, uh, I say that motion passes 10-0 for the record. Um, that takes us to the vice chair. So I would accept nominations for the vice chair position at this time. And just as uh, our current chair has done a wonderful job, I think our current vice chair, uh, if she would be willing to take it on, would do an excellent job repeating her tenure. This is Shannon Allery. I second that. Uh, this is Monty Sokup, Chair. We have a motion and a second. Edith, are you willing to accept that? I'm going to give you the option. To... <laughs> uh, only if I have to do as much as I had to do this previous year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best to make that happen, but I can't promise anything. <laughs> so I'm going to take that as a yes, Edith. Okay, so I have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion or any further additional nominations? Okay, hearing Mr. that. Chair, oh, go ahead. I, I apologize. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. I missed two seconded. Do you mind repeating that? Uh, Thomas made the motion, and who seconded it? Shannon. Shannon. Okay, Shannon. Shannon Howery. Yes, Shannon Allen. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to call the vote. Uh, hold on to your seats. Thomas Howe. Yes. Shannon Reed. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Edith Guffey. I abstain. <laughs> Monty Sokup. Yes. Motion passes 9-0. Okay, so we have a new uh, chair and or re-elected chair and vice chair for this year. So we'll just keep plowing forward. Thank you everybody for that. Uh, next item on our agenda is the discussion of the Saab Construction Affordable Housing Trust Fund proposal going south. Um, so I wanted to start on that just a little bit before. Uh, so we that 
you know, our recommendation uh, from our last meeting was for the city commission that we were not, did not plan on funding it out of uh, trust funds or did not recommend uh, funding it out of trust funds that uh, we didn't think it met basically uh, the criteria for the things that this, this board is wanting out of a uh, funding from a, uh, from the trust fund. And that, but that it was a good project and that maybe the city could find additional other funds or another funding source uh, to help bring this project to fruition. So they basically uh, tabled that last month. So they didn't really uh, discuss it in any great uh, detail other than they said they would look for, for funds and really consider different funding sources for not only that project, but for uh, um, social services and, and those kind of things that are, were non-capital things that have been hitting uh, this budget uh, that this, this uh, committee questioned or brought to light. So um, they're doing both of those things. And actually, I think that it's gonna be on the agenda tomorrow. Is that correct, Leah, as far as you know? Okay. So if you anybody wants to attend uh, the meeting and make comments, certainly they should. Uh, I plan to attend and make comments. So um, going back to the Saab uh, project, I know a couple people at least have had uh, discussions with uh, Frank Saab or and that company, myself included, and um, at least in my meeting with him, uh, I kind of explained, I think, what it is that the Affordable Housing Advisory Board is looking for and what kind of value and uh, what permanent affordability means and possible ways of making that fit into a project. I also conveyed to him, uh, one, how excited we were that they had submitted, that it was our first private developer that has submitted. And uh, uh, it was kind of interesting. Frank said, well, I kind of, I submitted and I know it wasn't complete and I felt like I was gonna get laughed off the stage, but uh, I felt uh, very uh, encouraged that there is interest in working with private developers. So um, I also then explained to him kind of what we would need to get and that, you know, I felt like if the trust fund was gonna spend a dollar, it needed to get a dollar's worth of value uh, towards permit affordability and what that might look like in selling lots to us and those kind of things. So I gave him a lot of ideas uh, and I think he is uh, trying to figure out how that can work for him. Uh, but I think it's important that we continue to work with him, whether that is, you know, city staff with Leah and Brad and whoever, and uh, as well as any of us that have expertise uh, in trying to bring these things to fruition. Uh, because really, like I think I've said all along, you know, we have great not-for-profits, but we need to ramp up our capacity to build more houses. And it's going to take more than just that. Uh, they do a great job. And... And I also certainly suggested to Frank that he could, should partner with one of our not-for-profits uh, to come in and so that, because they do understand the, uh, you know, what, what the board's looking for. And I said, I don't know what that partnership looks like, but I, I think that would be helpful. So that's what 
between Ole Miss meeting and the last meeting uh, I've done, I know a couple other people met with Frank and I would encourage them to share on their discussions as well. And then I think we have a general discussion about what we think we should do moving forward as a board. So I'd open the floor to anybody else that had a conversation with Frank or has a comment either way. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Uh, Mr. Cham uh, Mr. Chairman, I'm Ron Gacious, the Chamber Representative. Uh, I also had a conversation with Frank, uh, in fact, a couple since our last meeting, and um, I, you summarized his attitude, uh, I think, exactly right. He, he's, um, you know, he's pleased to be considered, and he's looking for, uh, you know, what's the formula for that works for him to participate in the program. Uh, he seems genuinely committed to many of the same um, goals as uh, this advisory board. And I hope we can find a way that through Rebecca's agency or working with Erica or, or you know, some other, some other uh, collaboration, uh, Frank's able to bring some of those uh, lots, make them available for permanent affordable housing. And uh, I, I was very encouraged by, by his approach. Um, then the question will be, how can we replicate that and, and kind of gear, gear that up to offer even broader uh, opportunities? Yeah. This is Rebecca with Minutes to Homeowners. And uh, I've been talking to Frank throughout this process, and I think we talked to him even before the application. Um, you know, hoping that part of the issue, I, I would think you all agree with the application is that there wasn't really a defined how did the dollars that come from uh, the housing trust fund lead to affordable housing for a particular population as we define affordable housing. You know, I think Frank went in thinking, well, if I just lower cost to my whole development by a couple thousand per lot, that's I'm making them more affordable. And, and there was quite a bit of discussion and I think education for developers who without subsidy can't even reach the populations we're talking about. They don't even kind of think of development numbers that way, right? Um, but yeah, how do we educate where, okay, you know, what can you give to this? And then with this additional subsidy, we can get to kind of a below market price uh, on what we're trying to do here for permanent affordability. Um, but I think it's scary for developers to commit to any of that. Uh, it's again where nonprofit developers, we have to, to get funding, we have to outline all of our costs and say, this is what's gonna happen and here's our margins. Um, and not to say that for-profit developers don't do have a budget by any means, but they also can raise their costs a little bit. You know, they have a little cushion there. And I think he's really hesitant to commit to certain numbers on certain things. But if we can figure out a way that, yes, if you get this money, then, you know, you and you sell these lots for exactly those many dollars less and we get a budget on that. I think that's the way we collaborate with for-profit developers. We just need a little more 
information on how that's going to create affordability and lock, you know, lock it into permanent, as Monty said. So I think we're really close to that, but he has not, he was told all that before the application as well, and has not wanted to commit to numbers. And I get right now is a hard time to commit to any numbers, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think we've got to stand firm and be, you know, I understand our want to get for profit developers involved, and I agree, but I think we've got to have some ways in which um, we're defining how that goes to affordable housing and not just making $300,000 houses $5,000 more affordable and reaching a, you know, $295,000 house is not the goal of, of ours, I don't believe. Now, if we want to say it is just supply of any kind, then I think we need to have that discussion. But um, I feel like our supply increase is, is in a targeted niche as well. And I, I hope you all agree with that. I guess I'd want to hear if you don't. Oh, Mr. Chair, uh, this is yeah. uh, Ron. Uh, go ahead, Edith. Okay. Go ahead, Edith. Go ahead, Edith. Yeah, uh, this Edith Guthy, uh, member at large. I, I think this is an. I think this is an opportunity for us to explore and learn a lot about working with private developers, and not just this one. Right. Um, the first is uh, we've talked about our perhaps being more aggressive. And I wonder if this is telling us um, that we could be more aggressive with private developers with an invitation and an educational program about what it means and how you do it. And that we really want to be partners in that and that we are the initiators in that invitation. Um, and um, that rather than us just sitting back and waiting for people to come to us. And so I wonder if this is an opportunity for us to learn from that. Um, and so that's the first thing I was interested in saying. The other piece has to do with the city commission tomorrow. And I wonder, um, we have made that proposal to the city commission, but I was really uh, thankful for the, uh, the strategic plan today because that said to me very clearly that the city commission has already voted in their strategic plan about affordable housing, which says put some money toward it. And we are asking them to put some money toward affordable housing in that request tomorrow night. And uh, it's a perfect opportunity for them to take some action directly toward affordable housing, not just in their words, but in their money, so that a project like this that has some value, that would be the first step in a project like this with a private developer. If we got that, then we would certainly tie it to the metrics that we would require in the Go Going South program or the whatever it's called, yeah. uh, that it was permanently affordable in the range that we would require as affordability. And so those two pieces could really work well for what we would uh, determine as affordable housing, so. Okay, Ron, go ahead. Thank you, Edith. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. 
Um, I, I'll piggyback on Edith's comment, but also partially in response to Rebecca, because this kind of sounded like a question. Um, um, I, I'm with you. I think we should target our subsidy funds, limited as they are, for those uh, towards the bottom end of the economic capability to afford housing. Um, if we were to be doing a great job at the really low end space, I'd feel more comfortable spending, you know, some of the trust fund dollars on projects that would maybe have, uh, you know, touch a little bit of help for a broader segment of the of the the market, you know, the middle of the market. But but I think we can help those folks with policy changes. We can certainly encourage over the course of the next two or three years while the city's going through their, their code, code review, we can be uh, encouraging changes that would allow more, more you know, uh, less expensive homes to be built in the community. And there are some things that can be done in that space. But so far as our subsidies are concerned, Rebecca, I certainly agree with you. As the chamber rep, nobody's told me otherwise. We wanna put the dollars where they can do make the most impact in people's lives. And, and right now we haven't satisfied the the bottom needs yet. So I'm I'm very fine that we we try to tack all, all these dollars onto permanently affordable units if we can. Thank you, Ron. Uh, go ahead, Shannon. Um, Douglas County Commissioner Shannon Reed, I um, I appreciate all of those comments and agree with them, the past few folks that have spoken. Um, and I think I would just, I guess, add that for me, part of that, um, the whole conversation around SALB and that going south project option was that um, I'm excited to see, I'm really excited to hear that folks have been um, engaging with him regularly and that he seems to continue to have interest because I do think that there's some potential to really develop a tangible, per, you know, really cool project that where we see funds create those units that we're talking about. Um, and I think for me, what stands out about that also is that I took issue with the idea of spending money on, infra spending these dollars on infrastructure for that because it felt like it's taking away from being able to tangibly build units that could remain permanently affordable. And so I just, I, you know, I would agree with you, Edith, that I was excited to hear that summary of the strategic plan and know what, how they are framing things and um, where we can push them to put their dollars and infrastructure to support bringing down the cost and increasing the accessibility of building and developing in new areas. Infrastructure is exactly the kind of thing that we should be advising the city commission um, to put their dollars into. So I think that that stands out for me about this particular project. And I would agree that also it, in this kind of, I suppose, like, new era or, or moment of opportunity we have to really develop relationships with private developers and think about how we come up with creative solutions, um, that it is well-timed with the city revising their codes because some of those projects may have particular barriers that are identified both by private developers and nonprofit developers that help us 
as Craig mentioned earlier, really zero in on a particular code or particular regulation that is a barrier, we can tangibly ask the city commission to remove and resolve in the, in the name of urgency. So from my perspective, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity coming forward in the year, kind of a perfect storm um, in a positive way of um, how everything is kind of lined up and happening. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And I appreciate um, those of you who have done follow-up with um, Mr. Spalb and keeping him in conversation about this. Thank you, Shannon, Smonty, Sokup. I, uh, Leah, I'm going to make a comment and I'm going to give it to you. That's okay. A uh, couple things. I think, you know, uh, as you look at the geometry of this thing, the, the money that uh, Saab is asking for really is for a, a collector's a section of a collector street that would bring, make his property accessible. He's not asking for infrastructure within his development. This is outside of his development. Uh, and it's just a section of road. And I think, you know, there's some opportunity there that we really haven't explored yet. I've been, I've, <laughs> seriously, I've been like racking my brain about this and how we can make this thing work because there's such opportunity. But, you know, one thing I, I did come up with, and Frank really spurred this in my mind was, he said, you know, that section of road also improves the person's ground that, that is to the south of me to the south of this and brings them access. So, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to create something like a benefit district. I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, uh, Frank's development pays for half of the cost of that road, you know, $150,000. And when the new person, when the person to the south comes on, you know, the city would front end fund that. And then when they come on, they would have to, to be able to have access to that road, then have to fund that other 150, you know? So you start splitting that cost in half and then you couple that with us being able to buy a couple of lots, you know, three or four lots within the development. And you offer that, you know, that same opportunity to the next developer. If he's gonna, he wants to do affordable, then he could get, you know, sell some of his lots, their lots to that. Anyway, I've got a ton of ideas. <laughs> We still need to, you know, work out with uh, with people that are developing lots. But we again, it, it comes down to, you know, a developer is there to make money, rightfully so. That's what they do. It's how they earn their living. We got to make it figure it out so it pencils out for them and works for us. And and the more creative we can get uh, with that, uh, the better. So, um, okay. That said, I had to get that out. Um, Oh, and one of the other one other thing, sorry, in talking with him is he said that the the code, the fire code, actually, because of the length of the street, that the fire code only allows him to put 30 lots in that subdivision instead of the 32 or 34 that he originally had designed, which essentially costs him four lots. And with us trying to create density and affordability, that's to me, that's in direct conflict with you know what our what our strategic plan is. Um, and I, I, I'm struggling to see how, you know, two more houses in a block makes a significant difference to the, to the fire code. Now I have not explored that and certainly uh, will, but um, we seem to have these fighting uh, interests. Uh, and I know, uh, like I said, again, I know Rebecca ran into some issues with that on the uh, Beatnik Court, you know, where it cost money to do certain things that the fire department wanted. 
in there. Uh, so we need to have we we start having those discussions as well. And and again, that's in that code review, and that's why I asked about those those rules. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Leah. Thank you. It's Leah Rosemont, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, I'm I'm excited to hear all the discussion and the energy around the solid project. Um, and also, um, I guess just wanted to highlight that there are other potential uh, there are other potential opportunities. So, for example, Rebecca is chairing. Um, uh, acquisitions committee that's looking at um, potential um, shovel ready property um, lots and properties that can be converted rather quickly into affordable housing and has a spreadsheet of dozens of opportunities. And um, I guess I just um, wanted uh, um, would encourage the uh, Ahab to think about how to um, look at options equitably, um, uh, uh, right? So that Saul got an application in and um, we want to explore all opportunities with Saul. And yet there are other opportunities as well. And I hope that the board may consider those opportunities. And for the trust fund, the same type of model could be um, implemented with nearly all of these options. It doesn't necessarily have to be on that specific property. Um, and I'm wondering if the board might be interested in Rebecca sharing that or exploring those options as well. Uh, this is Monty's yeah. share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think we are would be interested. We're certainly, uh, we don't want to, uh, not explore any avenues that are open to us. So uh, if you're ready to share about that, Rebecca, certainly be willing to to listen. Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. Um, and several of um, my colleagues on AHAB are in that meeting or in that group as well. So Erica and Shannon, um, Ori uh, and Dana, Ortiz um, and Leah. So yeah, uh, you know, it's a good discussion. Some of this was looking at perhaps county and city ARPA funds, although I think the county may have more for acquisition and for permanent supportive housing. But the exciting thing I think on that, or I'll give you an example of two or three developments that I think have real potential for um, density and, you know, to scale units. Um, which I think will be coming to trust fund, you know, application at some point. Uh, one thing I do want to tell you guys, I mean, this is an example of how these projects take a while to put together. Um, but the biggest acquisitions of Erica in uh, uh, Habitat and Tenants to Homeowners are looking at an acquisition and castled on the curve um, of 14 acres which has now of that there's some floodplain, but it has about seven acres buildable. So that would be, we're looking at some mixed use housing, some row houses, some apartments, but also some big, big single family, as well as small, you know, more, more small, tiny house 
you know, using the density bonus with two on a lot. So having some big houses and some littler houses, um, but a good mixture. Um, and so that could be a big development where I think our numbers, Erica, can you remember? It's like 50 to maybe it's closer to 75 units. We think it was closer to 75, yes. Yeah, thank you. We've had a bunch of additions, that, you know, looking at kind of the, the smallest amount of units we can get, the biggest, and I'm sure it'll fall somewhere in between. But that's a, you know, all of those permanent, permanent housing, permanent affordable housing, but some home ownership, some more rental, and maybe a few units of supportive service housing. But so we get a good mixture in there. Um, I think another big one that um, I will hopefully have under purchase option soon is the vacant land behind Independence Inc. They are ready to sell and that would be a great project um, potentially for people with for disability housing, um, fully accessible housing and perhaps just for people that are not even seniors that we uh, Shannon Ori has told me that that is just a huge need people cannot find accessible units. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense to have that buy services. Um, and that area is, or that's a beautiful flat lot that has no floodplain. So <laughs> I love those. Um, so that's a potential that's really exciting. Um, also, we're talking to Monty, um, the Islamic Center in Lawrence that owns a piece of property on Haskell. Um, right over by Independence Inc. They're kind of 19th and Haskell, it's 1800 Haskell, I think, but there's a big vacant lot there too, um, which could be a great, great place for affordable housing. And that would be an, an interesting, again, an example of faith-based, you know, using some of their land and a development compromise kind of, they would really like us to build one unit so that they kind of, instead of giving up all the land value as an asset, they have a one unit that is, you know, has a little income every month for, for the faith community, but would trade us the rest of the land for that. So, and then they've said that house that they built, you know, they're not gonna say, yes, it'll always be for affordable housing, but they could use it you know, to still serve some members in their congregation that need, you know, still are kind of part of the solution of helping people be, have stable housing. So that was a really interesting um, collaboration that's in the idea process, but I think has some great possibility. Um, and then the other big one um, that we're looking at, um, the west side lots that we were donated and do own, we certainly are working on a 4% tax credit project on over there. So that we're hoping to get quite a few lots um, in the, and we're looking at 50 to 80 units there. So those are some big unit, some big developments with mixed unit housing that have some great collaborations and I think are really potential. I know we were frustrated a little bit that we didn't have a 50 unit project in this trust fund round. I will say that things have, some things have fallen through, but that there's 
many big projects that are being put together now. And um, I think you guys are going to see a lot of great stuff here in the next couple years. And that development projects can change and take a bit. And uh, hopefully the ARPA funding from the county can help us acquire a few of these. So then it's about how do we build and how can the trust fund dollars help us do that? So I'm really excited. I will am happy to share the list after this meeting to this group, um, just so you kind of know, and you can be looking for other things. And gosh, if you see anything or you talk to your faith-based community or anyone who's interested in doing affordable housing, reach out to me or Erica or Shannon or Moni or any of us or Leah, and let's have a conversation with these people. The nice thing is I think we've got a great list where we're not just have one project, we'll have a pipeline of 10 huge projects that we can do for the next five years. So that's my two cents and what I, hopefully Leah, was that what you kind of wanted me to share? This is Leah Rosemont, Affordable Housing Minister. Yeah, thank you so much, Rebecca. And that list might be something that the board may want to come back to um, in February or March and look at more closely and um, identify a potential um, property or a lot um, to do more of a bid or an RFP process with some trust funds. Um, at least that's something that the board may wish to consider. I would like to ask Rebecca with tenants and homeowners um, that you guys don't share it publicly because I don't want anyone on that list that's a private owner realizing that we might get ARPA money and suddenly bump up our the the price we've decided we've worked with them on. So at this point, this is kind of you know for this group's reference point, um, but you know. I will ask for that, please. Hopefully the letter of intent to the county for some of these acquisition funds is due here later this month. And so we'll have some idea, hopefully, but maybe even before next month's meeting of where that's at and what's left. And then we can kind of look at um, other, you know, what's on that list that we still think are really potentially great projects and how can we um, get trust fund you know, help or alignment with those. So, this is Monty Sogup Chair. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, I'll get to you, Ron, here in just a second. Uh, I would just say that uh, if you don't want that list and those prices to be public, don't share them with this committee or with Leah because they'll become public as soon as you share it with a city employee. So, uh, just a word of Certainly, I'm not the city attorney, but uh, <laughs> just from experience. Uh, so release that when you're ready to release it. Uh, and then I would go to Ron because uh, he had his hand up there. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Just a quick question for Rebecca. Rebecca, do you need some grassroots advocacy, some, some contacts going into county commissioners? Uh, hint, hint, Shannon, <laughs> in, in support of targeting some of these infrastructure dollars or, or you know, it's just a matter of there's some dollars and we can use them. We have to identify the projects and, and institutionally, everyone seems to be on board with trying to direct dollars that way. I mean, where, where are we at in the policy making versus just 
trying to pick the right projects? Where, where are we at in that process? I guess, you, where are you at in that process? The That's a great question, Ron. Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. Um, I do believe the county has outlined that they have goals for acquisition for supportive service housing. So I think what it got all of the rest of you that have been involved in these meetings, jump in, please, and help me. Um, but I do believe that there has to be some supportive service housing component for the county to really have it on the top of their priority list. However, we're really trying to do that with uh, some of these big developments. And the county does seem to understand that ARPA dollars to acquire make a lot of sense because then we have several years to create you know, create the project and get additional leverage funds. Um, so, you know, I think that's a goal of theirs. Now, once we all, once they get all these letters of intent and they start prioritizing that, I mean, I think we have some great advocates within the county. Um, but of course, any attempt, and I will certainly keep you informed, anyone who wants to know about this process to um, continue to state, you know, that I'm part of the city solution to this or, or looking at this, but yes, we need these dollars and we need these acquisitions for supply and for, for land to do this because it's hard. Um, any amount of that that I can get from other people to go with us all is, is great. I hope that answer. I mean, I do feel like they are more committed to using some ARPA funds for this purpose, but it has to be tied to some supportive service housing and, um, you know, housing for folks that have maybe experienced homelessness or are much closer to uh, potentially becoming homeless. But the nice thing is, and I'm not exactly sure what that looks like when you, if you're doing a big development of 80 units and a percentage of those are for supportive service housing. But I also think most of those folks understand prevention of homelessness means good affordable housing where people that are one emergency away from homelessness actually have affordable housing to not to avoid that problem. So upstream prevention of that, I think, is part of any of our projects that we'd be presenting. Uh, Monty, soak up chair. Thank you, Rebecca, for that explanation. And I would just might add that I know Ron offered, uh, you know, privately, you know, as an individual supporting the project. But I might say that if there are things that uh, should come to this board where the board would actually discuss it and make a motion to provide recommendations to different bodies that we should certainly bring those to this board and, and have our board speak to those issues as well. So uh, thank you for that and thanks Ron for bringing that up. Okay, uh, we have a few folks that are gonna have to jump off here. So I wanna get on to the, if, if it's okay, I want to get on to the next issue, which is uh, scheduling our uh, retreat, which- uh, Chair. Yeah, go ahead, Shannon. Douglas County Commission, Shannon Reed. Sorry to interrupt. I just noticed that Dana Ortiz's virtual hand is raised um, and I wasn't sure oh. if you saw that. Maybe she had comments. I did not. Oh, I did not. 
I'm not good at seeing that virtual hand. Dana, do you want to? <laughs> there you go. That's much better for me. I'll give an unvirtual hand. I'd not heard that term before. So thank you, Shannon. <laughs> thank you, Chairman. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. I just wanted to add to this conversation before we moved on a bit more. Sure. Um, each, I, I echo all that's been said in each one of these projects. If we can think as an advisory board how we can braid and utilize braid funding and utilize our voice as an advocate for other projects that may or may not come directly from us. That gets us much more proactive, like Edith was talking about. Maybe that includes talking to other developers about exciting opportunities um, for them as well. And then my second point is all of these units on the ground. If I think if if we we've talked about this numerous times, uh, income discrimination such if we can require, encourage, whatever that certain percentages of any units are reserved and accept vouchers and things like this, we are also meeting the needs of those folks under the thirty percent or less AMI. And Shannon can speak to that and has spoken to it a hundred times. Um, about the lack of voucher. It's really, it's really an interesting challenge each time somebody has voucher in hand and has to go out and, and find some place that somebody's willing to accept that. So just another tool in our toolbox to help affordability is, uh, is, is somehow requiring, encouraging more than that, uh, people to accept vouchers as income. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Dana. It's Monty Sokup, Chair. Uh, are there any other comments? I probably I tried to close that too quick, obviously. So uh, any other comments? Okay, so let's move on to scheduling of our uh, retreat. Um, Leah, did you have a specific way you wanted to handle this or do you have some suggested dates or what are we thinking there? Arizona Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, I think uh, first I was wondering if the board is interested in having the retreat during a regular AHAB meeting and just extending a meeting time or if we would like to look at uh, yes I see some head nods. Um, so in that case um, I think it would be useful to identify a retreat either during the March, April or May AHAB meeting and then extending the time um, by either starting early or going later. And so Monty, I'm not sure how you want to do a vote if they're. Um, well, let's just, uh, let's look at March. Let's just start by, we got, that gives us three months to consider. Uh, so if we looked at March, that is Monday, March 14th. Um, yeah, go ahead, Thomas. Uh, although I won't be in Costa Rica, I will be close at hand. I'll be in Belize on that day. Mr. Chair, this is Sarah Waters. That's also spring break for Lawrence Public Schools as well as KU. So I would ask that we avoid that week. Mm -hmm. Well, and and it's not March. It's March 11th. Oh. It's, it's February 14th or March 11th. What? What? Oh, that's April. April. Yeah, it's both February 14th and then March 14th are those Mondays of our meetings. 
So mm -hmm. if we could not do March and look at April or May, I think that would be preferred for me. Okay. And I might uh, suggest Thomas Howell, Lawrence Board of Realtors representative, I might suggest doing it earlier rather than later would be of use. So I would recommend that, and perhaps Leah, you know, you talked about uh, do we do it earlier or afterwards? Perhaps we could do a combination. We could start at 1030 and then go to two or 230 might be a way to do it. And so I would propose that we do that on the, uh, the April date. I second that motion. I think that was a motion. Gina Dowry. Okay. So we have a motion to start the meeting on April 11th. At I won't be there, but that's fine. You, we're gonna, we're not gonna get everyone, so. Okay, April 11th at 10.30, is that what you said, Thomas? And end at, at 2.30, is that what you said, or three? I think I said 2.30, but I just don't know what our, how much time we want to allot to this. So that was just a proposal, which... That'd be four hours. I would think that's more than right. most people can concentrate online. Yeah. <laughs> At least for me. Yeah, and that extends us two hours past our normal schedule. Yeah. Time. Okay, so I have a motion on the floor. Yeah, go ahead. I apologize, but um, this is Leah Rose, one affordable housing administrator. Before it goes to vote, I just wanted um, to give everyone a heads up that you might consider lunch, um, whether the board would like a break for lunch, since we will likely be doing the retreat in a virtual format. Okay, that's a good, good suggestion. Um, okay, so I have a motion on the floor and a second. So I'm going to ask for discussion of, of that and we may uh, make a friendly amendment to the motion depending on what the discussion is. So uh, the motion is this on April 11th to start the meeting at 1030 end at 230. And uh, I heard at least Leah suggested that maybe we either consider taking a break in the middle of that meeting and I maybe that's a half hour break or something uh to have lunch or we could eat lunch during which might be confusing because people have to go get lunch or whatever um any thoughts on the lunch idea if i'm not mistaken mr chair i believe we've had lunch brought in for us uh in on our past retreats this is virtual format so yeah this is chair, not going to be in person I, I don't think this is going to be in person i don't i don't anticipate uh, this be in person uh, Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure Leah could coordinate that, if we, <laughs> but, but it might be a little difficult. So uh, I'm going to suggest and make a, a suggest and maybe Thomas I'll let you modify your amendment if you like the suggestion that we select a 30 minute window inside that meeting somewhere in the middle to take a break everybody have 30 minute break and then come back and finish up our meeting so uh thomas how lawrence board of realtors representative i'm going to make a, a uh, an amendment to my motion which is that we take a break from 12 15 to 12 45 for lunch 
Okay. So I have an amended amendment or an amended motion. Uh, do I have a second to that amended motion? I see. Ron, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative on the advisory board. I'll second that motion. Okay. So we have a motion, amended motion, seconded. Is there any discussion on that? Yes, I, I did have some discussion. If Christina uh -huh. Gentry cannot attend, I, I hope you will check to see if Christina can attend. Because if I can't attend and Christina can't attend, there are no people of color going to be at the retreat. And um, I just don't think that's a good idea. I was just going to say the same thing. If, if Edith can't attend that day, but do we know about those others that aren't present here today? And Christina's not been able to make a couple meetings. And so I, I agree with Edith wholeheartedly. Um, but would May work for all? And again, I know that's pushing out much further, but Edith's voice to me is critical, um, as is every member of the board. Um, so that was just my thought. If Christina can attend, I'm good. But not having any people of color at the retreat, I'm not good. Okay. I'd like to have you both present. I'd like to have everyone present, but I think it's particularly important that right now, this stage of our strategic planning, we have minority versus all of our minority voices heard. Okay. All right. Uh, since we're in discussion, we do said this motion on the floor. Could everybody look at their May calendar and see if everybody could make the May date before we call the vote on this motion? That would be May 9th. Anybody have a known conflict at this point? Okay. Chair, yeah, go ahead, Thomas. I would revise my motion to go from 10.30 till 2.30 on May the 9th with a half hour break for lunch from 12.15 to 12.45. Mr. Chairman, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative, the second concurs in that amended motion. All right, so we have a motion amended twice. <laughs> uh, does everybody understand what the motion on the floor is? That's good. That to move the meeting to May 9th. And then we will, of course, continue to check with uh, the people that are not present uh, at this meeting uh, to see if they're able to attend. And then before we do anything, I saw Dana raised her hand. Not that was my that was my question. Thank you, Monty Dana Archie's Family Promise of Lawrence. That somebody, Leah, or somebody is checking in with our other attendees who are not present here today. Yeah. Okay. Any other discussion? So I'm going to call the vote. The meeting is to be on May 9th at the time stated in the motion. I'm not going to go through all that. Okay. Thomas Howe. Yes. Shannon Reed. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Shannon Ori. I think maybe Shannon had to drop off. Uh, Ron Gacious. Yes. Edith Guppy. Yes. Monty Sokup. Yes. 
Motion passes 9-0. We have scheduled our meeting. Uh, Leah, I am going to ask you to make sure that we contact our other members, including Shannon that had to drop off uh, to make sure that uh, that meet that works. And if, if that doesn't for somebody, we can discuss that at the next meeting. And uh, we can always amend that if we had to. So thank you. Uh, that takes us off out of the regular agenda to other new business. And we have an update on the city commission discussion of the 2021 affordable housing trust funds. Leah, did you have something to update on that? I think we did talk about it a little bit earlier. This is Leah Rizlan, affordable housing administrator. Yeah, um, you mentioned earlier in the meeting, Monty, that they are reconsidering that agenda item at the commission meeting tomorrow on Tuesday the 11th. Um, and if there are any questions about their discussion at the last meeting, um, Monty and I were both present and are happy to, to answer any questions or you can watch the video from the minute. And um, as stated earlier, any AHAB members are welcome and encouraged to participate in that meeting and make public comment. And as Chair Monty will be present to address any commission questions. Monty Sokup, thank you, Leah. Would you mind uh, emailing to this board the link to be able to make comment and do, thank you, appreciate that. I'll make it easy for a board member to, to get on if they so choose. Any other comments on that? Okay, we'll move on to item number two, Kansas Housing Needs Assessment Final Report as released by the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation. Um, Leah, did you have comments on that? Or I, I read through it, but certainly defer to you if you wanna make comments on it. Leah is an Affordable Housing Administrator. Just wanted to make the board aware, uh, uh, yeah, aware that that report has been published and is available online, and um, that Ryan Vincent, the executive director of the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation, will be presenting to the city commission at their meeting on Tuesday, January 18th. And so if any AHAB members um, are interested, you're welcome to um, join listen in on that meeting and I'll also send the registration link uh, to make public comment when that's available and then there's also a presentation available um, online um, that is available to view at any time and I, I guess my only other um, comment about that was um, just curious if the board would like to um, designate some time to discuss that report perhaps more in depth and talk about implications for this board, perhaps at the next meeting or the one after. Okay. This is Monty Sokup Chair. I might suggest we put it on as an agenda item for the next meeting. Um, I personally, I did watch uh, the video and um, <laughs> I think it told us the same thing that our housing study and Lawrence told us that we need housing of every kind everywhere. <laughs> Uh, that we can get. I don't think it was anything groundbreaking that uh, was revealed in that other than uh, uh, it was interesting to see the need in the more rural areas as well. I mean, I think that's where probably the report uh, really shed, 
shed some light on maybe some new information to some people. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the need is great <laughs> and the resources are few. So uh, I don't, I'm not sure we'll have a long discussion about that, uh, about that, but it's nice that we have that at a state level. Are there, yeah, Rebecca. Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. I just wanted to share with everyone um, my thoughts on having been in this maybe the longest for the last 20 years that um, I do want everyone to know that we have been able to use the small pots of money that we are eligible for. Unfortunately, as Monty said, the state does have to deal with rural housing issues that are so very different from our issues uh, where the lot, you know, in the rural housing where they can, they've got lots there for $3,000. Most of us here that try to develop affordable housing are like a lot for $3,000 sounds miraculous. Um, but, you know, there's other issues. They can't get contractors out to the rural areas. So it, it's just a different problem but yeah a lot of the same but again the funding like the moderate income housing which is kind of workforce housing the state funding pot requires it only go to um, communities under 60,000 so we are immediately just excluded from that pot of money um, there's several other pots as well as low-income housing tax credits which you go through the state that they really have never ever allowed for more than one project a year in Lawrence. And we've done probably one project a year, but not we as in tenants to homeowners, but someone in Lawrence with a low income housing tax credit project. So, uh, but just to know that if we had 10 amazing projects, they would not share it that much with Lawrence. So, there is limits to what we can use of state funding. Um, and I, I guess I just wanted those of you who don't know maybe how we use those that we do, I think, use them to the best of our ability. Um, Erica and I applied for MIH and we're building in Eudora and Baldwin. So in Douglas County, which is important to extend our reach to the county. But it's just interesting what a different system that is than what we can do here in Lawrence. Oh, and by the way, Baldwin doesn't really require much at all for development code, which really should, I'd never not developed in Lawrence. So I knew, of course, we all complained about the complicated development code and it was like, oh my God, it really is. So just some different ideas and uh, I want you to know that we're all looking for that. And I think it's got to be part of our plan always, whatever state resources are there, but they are pretty limited and I think used quite well at this point. Um, I also think Lawrence is doing way more progressive type of affordable housing development than most the rest of the state. Um, so we can be proud, but we're probably leaders at the state more than we are. Oh, there's a bunch of great ideas out there that we haven't tried yet. Um, so I, you know, don't want, it's just the reality of it. Um, so I, I, we can be, we can be proud of ourselves in that. I just don't think there's a lot to learn from that in the 20 years that I've been doing that. A lot of people have asked me why I haven't gone to a state position or something more regional in 20 years. Cause yeah, you guys are all sick of listening to me, but, uh, it's because we can do so, I can do so many greater things here in Lawrence, more progressive affordable housing than I could at the state level. So if that just kind of tells you what, you know, we want to keep pushing them, but um, 
there is definitely a more rural focus. And as Danny's mentioned, we get our own uh, HUD funds. So they kind of also look at, well, we can't double dip on those. We're able to use some additional funds for projects and we need to keep asking for them, but we do get some of our own funds too. And that's where they kind of look at us. Like we have to at least use some of our own funds for them to give us more. My two cents about the state, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. Those are uh, enlightening comments. Any other comments on that report? Yeah, Dana, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, again, I'm going to go back to something Edith, Edith said uh, a half hour ago or more and follow up with Rebecca. And that's this kind of this position that we could take as a board being more proactive and looking at braiding funding with other sources that are available and inviting people to apply and inviting imagination and creativity. One thing that has happened again and again with this pandemic that we're also very sick of is collaboration has shown to be the path of most efficiency. And to the point where I believe at Family Promise, I'm not sure I wanna do any heavy lifting as an agency ever again by ourselves. We, we are so much stronger together. We all know that in theory, but this pandemic has shown it. So I think as Ahab, we could also learn from that and reach out and be more proactive and see how we can braid funding and collaborate with with our private and nonprofit partners. Thank you, Dana. It's Monty Sokup, Chair. Uh, I was want to add one other comment to that and, and talking about outreach is the, uh, you know, the property that has recently made application to be annexed into the city up north of Rock Chalk Park. And I'm wondering if anybody has had conversations with them about what the opportunities are at this point. I'm not pointing any fingers, just wonder if anybody has reached out to them at this point to talk about that. Not seeing any. Okay. Well, we'll uh, I'll make a point to push on that a little bit. And because uh, again, I think they're, you know, with new development and the 2040 uh, plan providing public benefit, I think we need to be, every time we have some application like that, we need to be uh, May, reaching out, whether that's on a staff level or this board somehow. So we'll, uh, I'll figure out, I'll try to work on figuring out what that path is. And then maybe we'll talk about that Mr. next month. Mr. Chair, are you talking about the annexation request that's on the city commission agenda for tomorrow? It's north of Rock Chalk Park. It's like, uh, I don't know how many, like 80 acres or something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same one, but I will I will look into that. We'll look, we'll let's look into that. You and I can connect after the meeting. Okay, all right. Uh, that ends our other business. There are a few things on the calendar. I'm going to let you read those yourself. Uh, they're on the agenda and on the calendar. So, is there any other new business or old business that anybody wants to cover before we? Call for adjournment. All right, seeing none, I will ask for a motion to adjourn. <laughs> Ron Gacious. Mr. Chairman, Ron Gacious, yes. Chamber Representative, I move we adjourn. 
And a second. Thomas Howe, Lawrence Ward of Realtors. I right. second that motion. Thank you. Any discussion? Seeing none, I'll call the roll. Uh, Thomas Howe. Yes. Shannon Reed. I had to leave. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Shannon Ori. I think she had to leave. Ron Gacious. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Monty Soka. Yes. Motion passes 8-0. Thank you for your work today. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon.